watch is handy for meeting trains and catching planes, but a compass will get you where you're going. Like the Earth itself, scholarly publishing has a true north and a magnetic pole. The axis of our scientific world is firmly fixed on research. The pole is variable and, and in our time has shifted to open. The open publishing compass for knowing the direction of our travel is metadata, the stuff about data. This instrument uses persistent IDs to recognize authors, funders, and institutions, details that are necessary for managing workflow and that are critical in a pressurized publishing environment that includes funder mandates, data policies, and expectations for interoperability. Dan Shanahan, Publishing Director at Public Library of Science, welcome. Two weeks ago, PLOS released another six months of data for a public data set identifying and quantifying open science practices, including about preprints, data sharing, and code sharing. Where do the open science indicators tell us we are, and how good is the data? I mean, so it, the, how good is the data? It's, it's for what it's intended to be done for. So, I mean, not to... to Damien earlier for eLife was saying they look to transform science communication, and actually that's PLOS's goal as well. And to do that, we need to understand if what we're doing works. And it's recognising that the communities are different, the challenges they face are different, the barriers they face are different, and what matters to them is different. So it can't just be one size fits all, and that's what the data is about. It's about understanding at a more granular level what the challenges the communities face, and if our individual products, if our services, if our policies are working or if they're perhaps not and for those purposes the data is pretty good the data for our own journals we have all of it because we've got the the end-to-end systems and we're able to assess it and come up with quite robust data so we can see in a longitudinal way if what we've tried has improved things or made it worse now the comparator data set is much lighter touch because we don't have as much access. And therefore, I must emphasize, the OSI, the Open Science Indicators OSI, is not intended to be a benchmark. It's not intended to sit there and rate how good all the journals are in terms of open science. It is about sitting there going, is what we're doing moving the needle? Is what we're doing going to advance it? And for that purposes, it's, it is, for where we are, as good as it can be. But we are still hit by all the limitations that, you know, affect the industry as a whole. We can do it with the data we have, but we know that capturing information around authors, around affiliation, around funding is still very limited. And and as a goal for PLOS and perhaps for the whole uh, ecosystem, it's about moving beyond the article and the metadata allows you to do that. Our argument and our view is that open science practices allow you to really use it and take these articles and these data further. And this is about understanding if we've set that road to make it possible. Um, It doesn't as yet, you know, we haven't followed up and extended this into proper impact data. So the aim for it is the open science allows people to pick it up and use it in policy and use it in further research. We want to be able to identify how the impact of this data and these evidence and this research is picked up, is used, is implemented in practice. So that we can see beyond just the contents of the article, but to the wider real world implications and actually moving society, moving what matters. And we heard earlier today, uh, today about uh, concerns around equity in publishing. Talk about how metadata can play a role in enabling greater equity within the system. A lot of what we talk about when we talk about open access is still gold APCs and all of this. And we still have people talking about waivers. 
which is a really, in my opinion, a really inequitable way of doing it because you're putting the emphasis on someone to come to you and say, please, sir, I'd like a free article, which is absolutely farcical. So we know that the affordability varies by country. It varies by people's background. And we don't want to put all the onus and the emphasis on the author to go cap in hand. And metadata enables us to identify this in a more systematic way. You know, we know the affordability in different countries is different. And if we have good metadata, we can identify them up front and you can vary the APC according to affordability. You can end up redoing things like these research for life without asking people. You can just say, no, it's free for you. There is no charge because that is more equitable. That is more about excess. And it is enabling people to sit there and identify. Um, you might have seen, actually, we've got a, a policy on parachute research, which is when you've got a list of authors and it sort of it goes to one person from normally from America with a list of authors from a different country. We can identify that and up front and potentially have a check and check this is all equitable, this is all fair. Well, and it's, 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 a, it's a window into the whole world, not just a piece of the world. It's about breaking down silos, bringing together the research, the authors, the, the entire ecosystem. Yes, very much so, because it's, again, it's, it's coming back to how you discover research, it's how you access it, it's how you discover aspects of research. And again, talking to the DEI aspects, it's about sitting there and being able to then contextualise it, understanding what part of it is coming from different, you know, different areas, what is based in the context, what is sort of a more fundamental method-based region. All right, well, Dan Shanahan, thank you. And I want to turn to Dr. Jose Sam. He's a professor at Santa Catarina State University in Brazil. Welcome, bom dia. Your expertise, Dr. Sam, is in knowledge engineering. You've worked for a variety of government and science organizations, the Pan American Health Organization, the National Institutes of Health, and the National Science Foundation. Nearly 25 years ago in Brazil, you began development, or the Brazil began development of the Ladish platform, a data management platform named for physicist Cesar Lattice. And today, Lattice has over 8 million users in Brazil and other countries. You work on that platform to expand and deepen the use of metadata. Can you tell us about the ways that persistent identifiers tell you about the direction that you're going and how has that information changed the way science and research are conducted in Brazil? We should perhaps explain for people that uh, the system in Brazil mm -hmm. is rather like in the U.S. It's a, it's a federal government with yep. a variety of states. Yes. And the challenge really was to ensure that there was an equitable distribution of funds uh, uh, throughout the country rather than sort of uh, resources always flowing in the same direction. Exactly. So um, in the uh, end of the 1990s, we... We saw a lot of concentration of funding going to certain regions in Brazil, mainly Sao Paulo and Rio. And uh, what this platform helped to do was to show first this, um, this difference in research uh, and researchers' uh, profiles and exactly um, how people were doing uh, good research and not receiving the uh, fair amount of funding, right? So uh, once this platform starts uh, running, you see this funding map uh, change. And uh, regarding PIDs, there's a lot of issues on quality uh, data. And uh, uh, Dan was talking about using metadata and, and the importance of this. Um, what we had, we had these real uh, strange situations where we had politicians lose their jobs because of this LATS platform, right? Ministers of Education cited that they did specific research or had their 
master's degree or, or PhD degrees, and the information was incorrect. So the science community came on to the government and said, uh, this information is wrong, and this person is not who he or she says that they are regarding research. So two ministers of education were, um, had to step down because of this. Right? So it's, it's an interesting, it's an open platform. Uh, universities can extract data once they uh, um, relate to the funding agencies. And now we have, uh, last year we published what is called the Latinx uh, Data Platform. That's a meta, uh, uh, a dataverse uh, um, open science initiative that's now connecting this 8 million uh, researchers profile to uh, open uh, science and, and uh, open data initiatives. So it's, it's And it's important to point out, as I say, that this was begun in the late 1990s, a yes. very different world, yes. different world in Brazil, a different world everywhere. Uh, tell us about where you've come, where, how it started out, and, and, and what the, uh, the, the, the state of metadata was at that point. Well, we had, um, as in... in different government initiatives, we have, uh, we have like 10 different uh, systems to collect data for the same purpose. Right? So uh, the discussion was we, we, we gathered uh, 600 uh, researchers uh, from, diff- from uh, various fields and discussed what would be the best way to uh, collect data. We then went to the universities, public and private, and uh, we discussed how they could use this information. And um, we then start building. At, at that time, it was a Windows application, but it did interesting things like uh, connect uh, your research to other and, and cite co-authors and, and tell you what uh, who, who are the um, researchers that you uh, pu- publish most. So things that you know, like building a web page for the researcher. At, we're talking uh, uh, the, in the early 2000s, so this was uh, something, uh, you know, fairly new for them. Um, and then um, after that, we started to then build some analysis and, 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 and connect using uh, persistent identifiers, connect to other databases. So to validate information mostly and, and uh, um, try to, you know, scale the data um, in, into a better quality assurance uh, model. So, and, and that's a system that began at a national level, but yes. now we live in a global uh, publishing ecosystem. And so you've probably had to begin to map your identifiers and sort of work with the various other standards that exist. Is that exactly. a challenge? Yes, uh, a, a huge challenge. Uh, we we uh, started to work with uh, different groups, uh, uh, connecting DOIs, connecting... Uh, ORCID numbers connecting different uh, persistent identifiers. Um, and, and we started to understand the uh, differences of how people uh, inform in these specific um, uh, databases the information and how they uh, relate to their curriculum and their, their past activities. So, um, so now what we're building, and this is a research, fairly new research, is uh, d- building narratives, right? So, so uh, using, um, using uh, large language models to build stories about the curriculum of that researcher. So 
uh, not just adding you know, uh, metadata about that specific research project or uh, uh, a paper, but uh, helping to build a story on how that benefit uh, his or her research and, and how that and, and the role that the researcher had on that specific project. Those are the things that you don't usually see in a bio sketch or a, 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 a short uh, bio. And, and in, in, for funding agencies and, and, and other organizations that do funding, this is important to understand the potential and, and the, cap, the, cap, uh, the capacities that the, 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 the lead researcher has in developing that project, you know, uh, how he works with teams or how she works with uh, the research team. Well, we'll come back to the connection with AI, AI right, and metadata right. in just a second. So thank you, Dr. Sam. Uh, Matt Cannon, head of open research with Taylor and Francis Group. Welcome to you as well. And uh, your colleague, uh, Michaela Atherley, is unfortunately unable to join us today. And you've stepped in. I really appreciate it. In 2022, you co-authored a paper for the Learned Publishing Journal about the impact of introducing a data sharing policy that was open and fair. Fair is findable, accessible, interoperable, and reusable. This was to apply to six TNF Earth and Environmental Science journals. So how does a fair data compass help researchers navigate on this journey to open science? Yeah, thanks. And thanks for the opportunity to be here and, and talk with you all. Um, so... Yeah, the the paper that we wrote was really TNF, kind of following what Dan was saying, like trying to move the needle and trying to take some positive action to move things forward in a kind of an open science, open research world. And the journals that we selected in Earth and Environmental Science was kind of an obvious choice, given that it's kind of a more of a community initiative to have more open data in those subject areas, and given the fact that kind of climate change and earth observation data is such a key part of measuring and evaluating that and also because actually the risk in sharing that data is lower than in some other areas because there's no kind of personal GDPR those sorts of things so there was already kind of a community movement towards having data sharing open data tied to manuscripts and um, published in those sorts of journals and so Taylor and Francis had had a data sharing policy since 2018, um, but m nearly all of our journals at that point were on the lightest touch with encouragements to share rather than any other requirements. And so we launched this pilot to move a selection of these journals to our most open policy, which has quite strict requirements around including data availability statements and having uh, open data sets stored in a repository um, that sit behind that research. Um, and in terms of kind of metadata, one of the things that we've had to do as a result of this project and this case study is really think about the links between the articles that we were publishing and the data that sits in those repositories and making sure that the references between those two objects are both useful for humans who can read a paper and say, oh, yeah, there's a data set in Pangea or in Dryad and they can go and look there, but also that there's like a machine readable link that all the software and other kind of tools in our ecosystem can use to make sure that there are these links and that it's kind of visible and discoverable and there's lots of benefits for that around increasing transparency like one of the main aims of open science but also um, increasingly we're seeing lots of kind of bad actors and paper mills and lots of stress on the publishing industry from that sort of thing and increasing the transparency and the number of objects and the machine readable links between them is a really good way of kind of shining a light, shining a light on that and kind of 
tackling some of these things, both from a research integrity angle, but also from an open research angle. And Dan Shanahan was talking about breaking down silos, and yet it seems whether, you know, whatever silos we're talking about, publishers always end up in the middle <laughs> with all of this. And for authors, talk about their perceptions around the, 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 their role in this, right? I mean, they submit a manuscript and they think they're done and metadata be done. Yeah, so I think... Oh, Dad and I were talking about it as we came in. Like, I think one of the things that maybe authors don't always understand is that the process of submitting a manuscript is obviously they're putting forward their word document or latex file or whatever for for peer review but a lot of the kind of forms that they have to fill out and a lot of the information they're adding isn't just uh duplication it's not just for fun that we're asking for these things a lot of that is being used to build all the metadata um, and all the links and kind of the funding information and the institutional information all of that is being used to build um that metadata that sits behind the paper and kind of adding the data sharing requirement is another kind of metadata that we're asking for we're also asking for the PID for the um the data that they've shared in a repository hopefully um and making sure that we've got that in the right format that we can bake that into the metadata of the paper as well um but yeah i'm not always sure how great a job we do of explaining that that is exactly what we're going to be using this for because we still see plenty of errors and mistakes in some of those fields that end up being used for um, metadata. Well, uh, to that point, on Tuesday this week, CCC launched the State of Scholarly Metadata 2023, an interactive visual report that's based on a study of metadata, metadata management across the research lifecycle and drawn from interviews with, with dozens of industry stakeholders. The report depicts the economic and social impact of all of this all, all these challenges, all these these fragmented pieces in the supply chain for metadata, and so so Dan, I want to ask you, Dan with plus, Dan Shanahan with plus. You say the fault with data doesn't lie with the north star, the compass, but with ourselves. We're responsible for the challenges we have. I mean, I think it's it's so. I would you know. I would agree with what Matt said and that there's an element of collecting the data, but I also think our infrastructure is wholly inadequate for this. We've had this already. It's sort of publishing is now an online digital world, and yet we still treat it as if you're sending your article in in a paper form. And it does lead to us having to request the same data multiple times. It does lead to the fact that the data doesn't transfer from one place to another. It does actually mean that we're recreating. And any time you're doing this, errors creep in. Now, this, is, this, for me, is the biggest challenge we've got in that we do need better data, but it's also it, it's not accurate to just point fingers at authors. It's not accurate to point fingers at people further down the line. It's sort of as an industry and as everyone, we need to actually come to grips with this and recognise that it's not just the article that matters. The science is of utmost importance, but it's not the only thing or the book or the, the what have you. And we've got to actually come up with a way of, of really capturing all these data, making sure it's accurate, making sure it's accessible. And I would argue that a fundamental role of publishers going forward is going to be just that. When we talk about curation, I don't then now think of it as just checking the articles X good to be published. I mean, making sure it is then discoverable, making sure the data is there. And that means going both backwards and forwards down the line to ensure that it's standardized, it's accurate, it's collected, and that everybody's on board and you're making it possible. It's too easy to delegate responsibility to the authors and say, you got it wrong. 
but we didn't make it easy for them to get it right. <laughs> well, well, Matt Cannon, so how precise does the data compass need to be? I understand there are new PIDs emerging all the time, and is the compass in danger of getting overcrowded? Uh, I, don't, I don't think we can have... I think there's still plenty of room to add more PIDs and more granularity. I think we're a way away from being overcrowded at the moment. I think, as the other speakers have said, we now have good um, kind of clarity around authors via ORCID. Uh, Fundref provides really accurate kind of funder metadata. Um, and But there's kind of new... Uh, kind of PIDs emerging all the time. So RAID, so the research activity ID is getting a lot of activity and movement coming out of Australia, which is about having a PID for the whole project that you're working on. And then that you might use that to have all of the constituent parts. You might have your data, which would have a, also appeared in the code and all the other objects you could all put into this kind of project ID. Um, and I know there's also talk in some subject areas about having PIDs for instruments. So you can imagine like large telescopes or other pieces of really specialized equipment having a PID. So you know exactly which pieces of equipment have been used to generate a certain data set, for example because that's going to be really useful when you're thinking about downstream uses of this stuff, like um, either checking people trying to kind of take a transparency angle and check, like, did they do what they say they did? But also from a reproducibility angle, like, can I take this? Can I reproduce it in my own lab? Do I need to use a specific instrument? And then kind of build on that and accelerate, push forward and, and make societal changes. Well, you used a, an important word, reproducibility. This is going to play a role in greater reproducibility for all of the work we do. Yeah, definitely. And I think, yeah, I think I realize it's not applicable for all subject areas. Like there's definitely arts and humanities areas where just reproducibility isn't going to be an end game. But I think there are plenty of areas where reproducibility in some way will be a factor and should be something that people are pushing towards and I think we're seeing more appetite for that around um, people using new methodologies like registered reports or um, other things to kind of check and kind of yeah try and make use of what's already um, been shared and, and is available to, to drive progress on, on key topics. And Dr. Jose Sam, you, you've already brought up uh, the, the subject that's being talked about everywhere, which is AI. And you believe that metadata can play a role in addressing one of the real challenges, which is when these chatbots hallucinate, when they, you know, give you answers that are sort of yeah. extrapolations of the yeah. data that lead you in, 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 in misleading or misinformed directions. Talk about how the vision you have for the way that metadata can begin to address some of those challenges. Yes. Uh, so um, we're, we're seeing um, different services now that use um, scientific literature and, and, and other references um, that use AI and, and large language models. So these are these um, AI, because AI is a, a field. So there's various sub areas specifically on language models that enable us to, uh, to speak and to chat uh, with uh, the computer. Um, we, we see uh, some of these companies, uh, the, they publish their reports uh, showing that there are some very 
specific situations where they have encountered uh, hallucinations. This is where the model predicts uh, a chain of words, and this prediction is uh, only based on uh, their creation and their combination. They are not based on facts or, or references. So these hallucinations are uh, are common, and um, and what 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 I what we talked about uh, using metadata is what we've seen, and and this is uh, happening here in in the UK. Uh, uh, their their group in uh, Alan Turing Institute that they they've done some work on this using metadata to retrain these uh, large language models. Uh, to make them uh, more specific on their response, right? So they're more uh, truthful to the reference that they use. And, um, and what, what I see is, and, and, and if you go on these services like uh, Sci, Sci, it's called uh, Sci Science or, or something like that, Elect, uh, there's also some open source services, uh, nonprofit services that index uh, papers and let you question them, right? So this is a more specific use of, so, so what they do is they, they, they use uh, GPT-4 or um, other, or, or Lambda, or so, so they use a large language model and retrain it, some, sometimes use, using technique called reinforcement learning with human feedback where they get some specialists to uh, evaluate and retrain the model. So the model responses in, in a more accurate uh, and, and truthful uh, manner. And uh, uh, this is something that I've, I've been studying because, as I mentioned, I want, uh, we, we want to use this to build narratives. And, and, um, and, and this links to project. And uh, as you were saying, once the, the uh, project ID uh, infrastructure is set up, we can uh, also index this and, and, and have it be trained so people that are doing funding evaluation can look at the submission and the, the, in the papers that are linked to that submission and have a, a glimpse of what that really means as uh, intent and methodology and research uh, methodology and outcomes. So, um, so uh, I encourage... Uh, uh, who's listening here, if, if you haven't used these services on the web, they're very interesting and very scary in sometimes. As you can ask them uh, to compare the, meth the, the, the method used on that paper with similar papers. So this, this will have a huge impact in you know, uh, academia, right? So, so um, in, in general and in publishing as well. Uh, we can go into the limit and say, okay, you, you can just talk to a book, right? You can say, what is the best sense of the chapter three, right? What does this mean in, in real life? And then have this large language model response and, and not hallucinate based on fact, give you a, a good response. Right. Well, um, I'll point out that Douglas Adams, author of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, said that we are stuck with technology well, what we really want is just stuff that works. The future that Adams imagined of talking digital books and media is here. The next giant leap will be to train those books and journals to really listen to us. So I want to thank uh, my panel today from the end, Matt Cannon, Thanks. head of open research with Taylor and Francis Group. Thank you very much. 
Dr. Jose-san, professor at Santa Catarina State University in Brazil, thank you very much. You. And Dan Shanahan, publishing director at Public Library of Science Plus, thank you very much. And I'll mention that CCC's interactive digital, I'm oh, sorry, visual report, The State of Scholarly Metadata 2023, is online at stateofmetadata.com. We invite you to have a look at it, interact with it, give us your feedback, let us know the problems and the challenges that you have around metadata. And uh, again, that's at stateofmetadata.com. I'm Christopher Keneally for CCC. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.